Well, good morning, King's Chapel. It's great to be with you this morning and my privilege to be able to lead us in worship this morning and to share with you from God's Word. I hope that you've been able to enjoy this beautiful weather this weekend, maybe take a walk with your family or get outside and do some yard work. It's uh, hard to believe this new journey that we're on of sheltering in place, and it's hard to believe that this is already our fourth Sunday of gathering together online. And so as we gather again now this morning, I just want to remind us that while this is sort of new for us, it's actually not new for the church of Jesus Christ. That in fact, this is how the church started. Not, of course, gathering online, but gathering together in, li in living rooms and gathering together in homes. And in fact, uh, if you think about the persecuted church throughout the history of the church and all around the world, even today, um, this is how most people still worship. So thank you for making this a priority because worship matters. And wow, worship matters more now than maybe ever. And so a friend of mine uh, who is a pastor reminded me this week of a quote from Eugene Peterson in this book called The Contemplative Pastor. And in it, Peterson writes this, Crisis opens up the chasm of reality. Crisis opens up the chasm of reality. In other words, God is up to something profound in times of crisis. And what he's doing in these times is drawing us back to reality. That the more we live in comfort, the more we become experts at forgetting what's real and what's not real. That the more we insulate ourselves against reality with things like nice homes and sporting events and fun trips and Netflix, well, actually, the more we begin to subtly believe that life in this world is what's most real and what we're most meant to live for. And so when God begins to strip away all the comforts that we're attached to, uh, it, he brings us back to reality. And that reality is that this world that we live in is incredibly broken and that I'm incredibly broken and that death is imminent and that this life that we're living is so fleeting here today, gone tomorrow. It reminds us of a reality of a spiritual world that God is real and that Christ Jesus went to the cross to prepare us for a new kind of world, one in which he's making all things new. So Peterson, he goes on to say in this book, and this is fascinating, he says, I've been a pastor for 30 years to North American Christians who do their best to fireproof themselves against crisis and urgency. And when we do that, he says that we rob ourselves. We actually rob ourselves of the opportunity to come into the presence of God with our fears and with our anxieties, with our weakness and our brokenness, and to come into His presence and experience His, His powerful love, which actually makes us even stronger, which makes us more firmly rooted and fills us with a type of holiness that makes us shine in the world around us. So how do we deal with crisis? We worship. We come into His presence through worship. And so this morning, I just want to start us off with a word of prayer. Let's join together in living rooms uh, as the family of God in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you that you invite us into your presence. The psalmist says that in your presence, there is the fullness of joy. And so, Lord, this morning, we long to, as the people of God, experience the fullness of joy as we gather together in your presence. Would you invite us this morning into your presence 
to experience your love, your favor, and your blessing, your rich blessing, Lord God. I pray that you would uh, allow your spirit to descend upon us this morning and to shape our hearts and our minds through word and prayer. And I pray that, Lord God, even though we're physically separated right now, that you would unite our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit and that spiritually we would be one together. Just as though we were actually in this building worshiping together, I pray that you would unite our hearts together as one. So we lift up this time to you, get, uh, to you this morning, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get to God's Word, I have just a couple of announcements to make. The first is that uh, just a reminder that each week we are uh, to stay connected, offering three primary touch points, three primary points of contact at King's Chapel through our online platforms. And so the first is a prayer topic. We're going to send you a simple topic of prayer that you can interact with through social media by writing out a personal prayer, uh, expressing praise or petition through social media, and by writing that out on our topic each week. The second is our daily devotions. And so this week, being Easter, uh, next Sunday, our focus for daily devotions is going to be around the theme of Resurrection and Passion Week. And so we'll have a different family from KCP read the daily devotional passage each day, and then we'll provide you with a short online devotion that you can work through uh, together as a family. All of this, of course, is going to be posted on Facebook or on kcpchurch.org on our website. And lastly, each week we're focusing on one missional touchpoint, an opportunity for us to serve and bless others in our community with the gospel. And so this week we're actually joining with Open Hands, which is a local ministry uh, and service provider for food and financial provision for families in need in our community. And the way that we're encouraging folks to serve is by helping out by bagging and distributing groceries to families in need this Tuesday and Thursday from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m. We know that not everyone will be able to participate. And obviously, if you're in a situation health-wise where you uh, would be particularly vulnerable at this time, then we don't want you to feel like you have to participate at all. But Open Hands is providing all the safety measures that we we need through gloves and, and face protection. We're ensuring that the volunteers are not closer than six feet apart. Uh, we're making sure that groceries are being loaded into trunks and to avoid personal contact, um, to, avoid, to make sure that there's a high level, level of safety uh, during these afternoons. And so we wanna encourage you that if you can spare an hour or two to join with us on Tuesday and Thursday uh, with open hands. So all the details about those safety measures and, um, and what we're doing on Tuesday and Thursday will be provided uh, on our Facebook page and on our website. And so you can check back and sign up. We'd love for you to serve this Tuesday and Thursday with the Open Hands Ministry. With that, let's look at God's Word together. And so if you have your worship guide in front of you this morning, you'll see that we're looking at Exodus chapter 33. Uh, and what I'd like for you to do is press pause on this video here for just a minute. And I'd love for you and your family to take the worship guide and to read out loud together Exodus chapter 33. And then you'll also see on your worship guide that there's a link to a short video called The Still Face Experiment. I want to use that video as sort of an introduction to our message today. 
And so there's a link, and if you would click on that link, you can watch that short video. And then you can come back here and click unpause, and we'll take a look at uh, Exodus chapter 33 for just a few minutes. So I'll see you back here in just one minute after you read the passage, and then click on that link and watch that video. Well, hopefully you had the opportunity to watch the video of the still face experiment with the babies and their dads and their instinctual reactions to the face of their fathers. And did you hear what the researcher said uh, when he talked about the reactions of their faces? He said that we're finding that babies are actually far more vulnerable and far more capable than we've ever imagined. That when babies are disconnected, when they're afraid, that life for them becomes unhinged. But actually, when they're grounded and comfortable, they can try new things. They can take risks and they can meet new people. They can explore the world around them. And what is it that makes all the difference? What makes all the difference is having the face of their father that in times of uncertainty and in a world full of unknowns, children need one thing more than ever. What they need is the face of their father to have any kind of hope and stability. So you can see that what we're talking about right now is particularly important to us. You may have noticed in reading the passage this morning an interesting phrase about Moses and about God. That when Moses goes into the tent of meeting to meet with God, it says in verse 11 that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends. It's almost incomprehensible uh, for us to imagine that type of intimacy with God. So keep in mind that Moses is not saying that he literally saw the face of God. But what he's saying is that what he experienced with God was a level of intimacy and connection, as though he were spending time with a close friend. And that helps us understand biblically and relationally this concept of having someone's face. To have someone's face is, is meant to be a gateway into relationship with them. It's, it's the gateway to relationship. One of the great things about this little device that we have now is something called FaceTime. FaceTime is this uh, way that we can connect with one another on our phones and see each other's faces, whether it's through Marco Polo or, or Google Hangouts or FaceTime, where now we're not just hearing each other's voices, but we get to see our face. But there's also a recent study which has discovered how destructive our smartphones can be relationally that you could actually be in a living room with a fire going and soft lit music, all the conditions set for prime in terms of having a great conversation with a friend, or you could be on the back porch enjoying nature. But what the study showed that with just the presence of a cell phone, just something, someone becoming aware that there's a cell phone uh, on the scene, whether it's because of a vibration from a text message being received, almost instinctively, people became less vulnerable and less willing to share, less willing to open up and talk and communicate. And the reason was that because when we fear losing what we have with somebody relationally, when somebody turns their face in another direction, the study showed that we instinctively guard up. We, we really subtly start to put up walls. We become less vulnerable and we begin to protect ourselves. And so it's fascinating that the power of the face in terms of relationships, we're meant to give one another our face. And so what the story of Exodus has been about so far is this journey for the people of God. And it's not primarily just a journey 
for them to escape Egyptian bondage. It's not primarily a journey about them getting the promised land, but primarily it's a journey about them getting the face of God, getting into the presence of God. The Hebrew word is panim. And panim means literally God's face or God's presence. Those words in the Hebrew are used interchangeably. And so we see, we see this all the way back actually in chapter three, that when God calls Moses and says, bring them to this mountain, bring my people to this mountain, Mount Sinai, where they will in effect, in effect be pledged to be married to me. They will become, he says, my treasured possession. We see this also in Exodus 25, where God says, have the people build a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a place where I can dwell with them and be in their midst, be in their presence. God himself living right in the midst of the people. The idea would be that there would be three tribes of Israel to the north, three tribes of Israel to the east, three tribes of Israel to the west, and three to the south. And right in the middle of those three camps on each side, there would be the tabernacle, the tent, of, the tent where God would meet with their, the people. That was what it meant to have the face of God. It was meant that God would be married to them, that they would be dwelling with him and he would be providing for them, protecting them in relationship with him as a friend in deep and intimate connection. Think about the stability and the security that that would provide for the people of God as they were meant to be a light for the nations in a broken world. You'd think no matter what comes our way, what impossible odds or trials that we're facing, well, the reality is that we're always in a position of strength. So this then becomes the chief blessing of God's covenant with Israel, personal friendship and relationship with God. I mean, how much better could it be? And it's meant to be our chief blessing as well. In fact, in his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer says this, what are we made for? What is the best thing in life? What is it that brings us more joy and delight and contentment than anything else? Well, it's knowing God. It's having his panim, his presence, his face, his favor, and his delight. There's a scene in the popular television show, This Is Us, where Randall, the adopted sibling, he's a high achiever. The only problem is, is that he's so driven to achieve in athletics and academics and everything that uh, he, he attempts that he's beset with these panic attacks. So that whenever he's faced with a test or a presentation, he just sort of locks up. And in one particular episode in this flashback to when he's a kid, he starts having one of these panic attacks and he begins to shake. Uh, he becomes non-functional. And the other siblings know when this happens, we've got to get dad. Uh, there's only one thing that's going to help Randall and it's dad. And so dad comes in and, and it's so beautiful. He takes Randall's face in his hands. He takes his boy and he says, breathe, breathe, just breathe, breathe with me. Now you're my son and you're totally capable of this. You're going to nail this. This is good. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for you. And almost instantly you can see the, the security and the composure and the life beginning to flow back into Randall's face flow back into this child. And that's what it means to have the face of God. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. It's meant to be his permanent presence and favor bestowed upon the people of God. And so what do we need most right now as a community? What do you need most right now personally in the midst of these turbulent times? 
and global pandemics. Well, we need what we've always needed. We've got to have his face. And so my question for us this morning is, do you have his face? Do you have that kind of intimacy with God? What would keep you from knowing that today, this week? What might you need to prioritize this week in order to get back into God's presence and to experience his favor and the fullness of his love? Well, secondly, I want to look at this passage and what it shows us about repentance. Repentance is what we're meant to move towards when we've taken our attention off of God's face and we've started to find security or joy or significance in something other than God. And so for Israel, this happens after they've sinned against God by placing their hope and their worship in the golden calf, as we looked at last week. And so when we looked at that, we saw that God's initial response was not to destroy them, but to destroy their idolatry and to root that out, and as, as well to bring covenant discipline upon the people. But now as we begin chapter 33, something else appears to be in grave danger, and it's the presence of God himself. At the beginning of chapter 33, God tells Moses to get up and go. He says to leave the desert and to head for the promised land. But God is speaking differently to the people than he has in the past. Uh, in the past, he had called the people my people. But in verse 1, he refers to them as the people. The people you brought up out of Egypt, Moses. There seems to be this disassociation here that, uh, that God then goes on to say, I will send with you an angel to watch over them. But every time in the past that when God had referred to this messenger, he had referred to uh, the messenger as my angel, implying that the angel represented his very presence. Many scholars believe that my angel probably referred to the Son of God himself, the second member of the Trinity. But now God would not be sending my angel, but an angel, an ordinary angel to do the job, one of just regular rank and file. Then at the end of verse 3, God drops the bomb. He's not going with them. And so among other things, this means that the plan for the tabernacle is going to be off. He would no longer dwell with them in their midst. And this is what happens when we worship other gods, especially things that we can see and touch. Rather than them moving us closer to God, our, our idols take us further and further away. Martin Luther said it like this once. He said, whatever man loves, that is his God. For he carries it in his heart. He thinks about it at night. He treasures it during the day. It preoccupies him, whether it's wealth or self or pleasure or reputation. So here's the, the question for us. What is it that preoccupies your thoughts and your desires? What might be underneath that at a deeper level? And here's what God says in verse 3. He says, I'm going to make good on my promises to get you to the promised land. I'm going to make sure that you're protected along the way. I'm even going to send heavenly help to fight your battles. I'm going to drive out your enemies. I'm going to make sure that you have the security and the protection that you need. And I'm going to get you to the land of milk and honey, just like I promised. Think about that, the, mil the land of milk and honey. It represented a land of abundance, a land abundant with healthy cattle, meaning there was lots of land and easily accessible water. A land of honey symbolized fertile and fruitful crops. They literally would have everything that they needed, everything that they could have ever wanted in one place. No more slavery, no more wilderness, no more desert, 
no more sense of loneliness and isolation. They'd have a place to call home. Now, if you're on Zillow and you've created a wish list for the perfect place, the place that God promises to deliver them checks all the boxes. Well, except for one. They don't get God. He's not going. And so the tragic reaction of the people of God in verse 4 is obviously that they're distraught. This word is distressing to them, and they begin to mourn because God has brought them to this moment of crisis. And the crisis has begun to reveal the chasm of reality, the reality of how insufficient the things that God blesses us with if we're experiencing them without God, the insufficiency of God's gifts in this world if we don't have, the, if we don't have God along with them. Now, I think understanding this truth and my heart aligning with it is exactly where God wants to move most of us when he brings us to crisis. And it's this, what's truly most important to me? What do you need in order to be deeply content and satisfied and happy in order to be free from anxiety and insecurity in order to have joy and significance? Does your heart point again and again towards better circumstances, more friends, better stuff, a life of financial security? Well, God says to the people of Israel, it's yours. You can have all that, but just without me. And for the first time, they truly get it. And my question to us this morning is, do you? Do you sense that tension? And are you ready to grab hold of God himself? And when they get it deep in their hearts, there's repentance. Now, I'm not always good at repentance. In fact, I'm usually slow. But there's a roadmap here in Exodus 33 for biblical repentance. And in verse 4, they, they've heard the word of God and they're convicted. And when that conviction comes, it leads to immediate action. It says in verse 6 that they strip off their ornaments, their, their jewelry and their makeup and their, their fine clothing. It's an act of swiftness. I've got to stop masquerading around. I've got to stop uh, putting on uh, a mask of self-protection. And what I really need to do most is come just as I am. That's repentance. And they go to prayer. They, through Moses, pray to God this way. In verse 15, if you don't go with us, then don't even send us out of here. In other words, God, we would rather have the desert we would rather have wilderness. We would rather have this dark place that we're living in now rather than to have all of that, but to not have you. We would rather not have the promised land and everything that comes along with it if it means that we have to have it without you. And so you see what God is doing here through the crisis is revealing their idolatry and searching out their bucket list. And suddenly their bucket list is down to one thing. We just want God. You see, biblical repentance, while it's meant to be swift and immediate, and while we're meant to come as we are, just as we are without pretense, it's not ultimately about wallowing in our guilt or letting time pass. It's ultimately about recalibrating our affections and our attention onto the one thing that we want most, which is God himself. A.W. Tozer has a great book called The Pursuit of God. And in chapter one, uh, Tozer writes this, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. 
Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, and all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing, for he now has it all in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. You see, the journey for God's people into the promised land was always going to be perilous. It was always going to be full of unknowns and impossible odds. And this is the only possible way to keep going on the journey, to know that I have God, that I have his presence, that he's not going anywhere. And therefore, no matter what I lose on this journey, I've actually lost nothing. So I don't know about you, but I know that this is the heart work that needs to continually be happening in my life right now, especially right now. Well, how is it then that, that they and we, for that matter, can have that kind of security, the security that God isn't going anywhere? Because at the beginning of chapter 33, that security is very much off the table. Why? Um, because they've sinned and they've walked in their idolatry. But by the end of chapter 33, that security is strong as ever. Why was that? Is it because their repentance was so good? No, it's because they had a mediator. And so the last thing I want to show you in this, in this chapter is this idea of a mediator. You see, when Moses goes into the tent of meeting in the middle of chapter 33, the future of Israel is very much up in the air. But when Moses prays, he pleads with God and he reminds him of his promises that God has called him and found favor with him and that he knows him by name. And then he says, remember this nation, that this nation is your people. And God's first response to Moses is fascinating. He says, Moses, my presence will go with you. Singular, not plural, not including the people. And I will give you, again, this is singular in the Hebrew, I will give you, Moses, rest. But Moses says, God, then don't send us. Don't, don't send me, because how, how will anyone else know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is the prayer of the mediator. Moses is identifying himself with God's love and his favor for him, his intimate relationship and friendship with God. And then he's connecting himself with the people, God's people. And God's response is, yes, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I'm pleased with you and because I know you by name. This is actually the very thing that God the Father does at the baptism of Jesus. Whereas the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, God calls out from heaven and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's the same wording that he uses with Moses. And what that points to is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that there is one God. And actually there is one mediator between God and mankind. It's the man Christ Jesus, who God gave himself as a ransom. He gave himself as a ransom for stiff-necked people. And that takes us back to the call to worship this morning from Matthew 11, chapter, 
from Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, where we read Jesus inviting us, saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' invitation here is hearkening back to Moses in the wilderness with the people because he's offering a yoke. The yoke was a wooden harness that would be put over the neck of two oxen to be able to enable them to work in tandem and to share the work of plowing a field. And so when God rebukes Israel at the beginning of chapter 3, what does he call them? He calls them stiff-necked. And when he does that, he's pulling up up an agricultural metaphor of an ox who refuses to take on the yoke. And now Jesus, the new mediator, in Matthew chapter 11 is saying, but come to me, all who are weary, all who are broken and heavy laden, take my yoke, be united to me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, I am gentle, lowly in heart, and in me you'll find rest for your souls. And so to harness in with Jesus is to be united once again in God himself, to God himself through the finished work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That's how we can rest. Andrew Peterson has this great song called Rest Easy. And in the song, he says, you don't have to work so hard. You can rest easy. You don't have to prove yourself. You're already mine. You don't have to hide your heart. I already love you. I hold it in mine. Do you hear that? We're united to Christ so we can rest easy. Do not be afraid, Peterson says. Nothing, nothing in the world can come between us now so you can rest easy. Is that you this morning? As we enter into Passion Week this week, let's remember Jesus where in the last week before the resurrection, he in a sense goes into mediatorial prayer for all those who would trust in him and unite their, themselves to him. And this is what he prays to his disciples during Passion Week. He says to the Father, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And when he prays for them, he prays like this, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. And so they, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so this is the trajectory of the people of God that running towards their mediator and clinging to his finished work on their behalf, they actually get the glory of God. And whereas Moses only got it in part on that mountain, in the cleft of the rock, God passing by, he gets to see the trail of God's presence. And the people who tasted of God's favor and presence enjoyed it, but through the tabernacle. Well, now us, because of the perfect mediatorial sacrifice of Jesus, we actually get it all. God not only dwells in our midst, he dwells within us. His favor is firmly set upon us. It's ours again to possess this Easter. And so let me encourage you this morning as we head through what feels like harrowing times of uncertainty, that actually we have the face of our Father holding us, our faces in His hands, saying, you're mine. 
my face, my presence, it's yours. I'm always with you. And so you can rest easy. Amen. Well, I want to sign off here on my end and let you and your family continue together in worship in your living room and enter into a time of prayer. And you'll find that on, together on your worship guide. Uh, I hope you have a great week. I miss you all. I hope to see you again very soon. And I hope you have a happy Easter.